Welcome to the Biology of Trauma podcast, the show that provides professionals with the knowledge and tools for effective science-based solutions for the trauma healing journey. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and I've done the hard work so you can stop your endless searching, have a roadmap for your own work, and be able to help others more powerfully. Welcome to this episode of the Biology of Trauma podcast. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and this is part three, our final episode with Dr. Ariel Schwartz. In this episode, we answer the question, what role did addressing unresolved emotions play in helping someone with progressive multiple sclerosis? Now, this episode is going to be a little different, and I'm so super excited to share it with you because we are going to be hearing Laura's story. Laura Bautista is a biology of trauma professional in training at the time of this recording, a health coach, and one of my trained somatic mentors who helps assist me with leading my 21-day journey to calm aliveness program. This episode has four different sections. In section one, we're going to hear Laura's story from being diagnosed with a neurodegenerative autoimmune condition to being symptom-free for 10 years. Section two, how to stop the spiraling of our mental health and access a safe place within. Section three, how the pace of our life contributes to our health conditions. And section four, hope for when life feels out of control. I cannot wait. I cannot wait for you to meet Laura. I cannot wait for you to hear what Dr. Ariel says about stress and trauma and that tipping point and helping us understand what trauma really is for those of us who will listen to this podcast episode and be able to relate to Laura's story of, I found no events necessarily in my life that were traumatic. And yet I obviously had these patterns in my nervous system that contributed to my disease process. So without further ado, let's just jump in. I think that you will come to love Laura just as much as I have loved having her in my biology of trauma professionals network and training, and certainly loving the wisdom that comes from Dr. Ariel Schwartz. And so let's dive deep into hearing Laura's story and what her story has been with being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis at age 21. So I'm Laura Bautista, and I live in Golden, Colorado, but I'm a New Yorker, born and raised in the Bronx. I'm excited to share kind of two sides of the story, since it's very much from a patient, client, you know, seeking healing experience. And also I am a professional. I do work with clients now, which all started from my own being sick. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis when I was 21 years old. And it it was like a ton of bricks just like fell on my life and on my physical body. The symptoms that, you know, landed me that diagnosis were that I had weakness and numbness in the left extremities. So in the left arm and leg, there were times where it would just feel like, you know, it was like kind of dead on that side. And like my right side had to carry my body. And so conventional diagnosis told me that this is MS, this is your life now, like you're never going to get any better. But if you take these drugs and, you know, admit yourself to the hospital when you need to, there's a chance you might not get worse. But most people may end up in a wheelchair or blind or lose control of their bowels. Like I'm told all of this in a, in a dump when I was diagnosed. The first time I realized I had MS or the first symptom of it, the first obvious one, I guess, was when I woke up one morning and my left hand and my fingers were all mangled up like this. And they were, and I, you know, if you're listening, you might not be able to see it, but they're basically like kind of 
clawing my fingers in and I couldn't straighten them out unless I like forcefully straightened them out. I had had so many random symptoms my entire life that I didn't, this wasn't even something that I was like super alarmed by, which is so weird to say, but it's just, I had normalized symptomatic expression in my body, right? Every rash I got, which were so many rashes my whole life, right? Oh, it's a heat rash. Like, no, now we know like your, your skin is your nervous system. Your skin is your gut, but we didn't know that then. And and everybody was doing their best. I do. I do absolutely believe that. And so MS and any autoimmune issue, it doesn't just happen overnight. These conditions, these disease processes are brewing for years until there's an, there's a tipping point that then qualifies for some category of diagnosis. The symptoms were, like I mentioned, it was weakness, weakness and numbness on the left side where I would, um, you know, have to go to the hospital, be admitted, sometimes have to, well, every time I went to the hospital, I'd have to be put on steroids and then sent on my way after about a week when I can kind of come back to actually functioning. But that wasn't good enough for me. You know, I didn't feel like anybody could relate to what I was going through either. Like none of my friends had an autoimmune disease. None of my friends were struggling in there with their health at least. And even as hard as they tried, like it was a very lonely time. And so when you, when you have all of those components going on, it's very easy to feel like everything's out of control and like everything sucks. And I wanted to join the Peace Corps when I was 21, but I couldn't anymore because I couldn't take my injectable medication with me, you know, and because we weren't sure if there would be a fridge. And so, no, you can't do that. My health was unpredictable. So I kept losing jobs because I couldn't keep them. I literally could not keep up with the pace of those jobs. And I would end up in the hospital and sick. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess that's what, you know, I have no control over that anymore. And so there was a lot of feel, there was a lot of desperation and sadness and, you know, it was really, really, really heavy. And I think that accessing, well, prior to access came what I call my no more moment, right? There comes a moment in your life, in your healing, in transformation, anything you want to transform, doesn't even have to be about your health, where you get to a point in a relationship, even even in a relationship with your body, even right. Where you get to a point, you're like, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. No more. This is not working. Mm, Let's pause right there. Being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis at the age of 21 can be pretty crushing news. And she reached a no more moment with her health symptoms and how they were affecting her life. Can you relate to a no more moment in your life? A moment where we start searching for what is happening beneath the surface. We start looking for a missing piece that can help us beyond what we've been given for resources. We're searching for hope for a better tomorrow. I too had a near scare with multiple sclerosis specifically, and there are many others listening who have or know of someone with an autoimmune condition. One of the things I teach in the biology of trauma modules is just how many are actually on the path of autoimmunity not aware of it and could become aware of it before it becomes diagnosable. But whether it's autoimmunity for you or something else, can you relate to the no more moment that Laura had? It's a hard place to be. It's a low place to be. Can be our lowest moment, our rock bottom. 
and yet can become the fuel for us doing something brave and starting to find the courage within ourselves to fight for a better tomorrow. Let's see what Laura does next that gave her the tools to do something different and to get different results and experience tremendous change in her health. I was very privileged. I had a medical doctor in the family. My dad is a medical doctor. I come from a family of doctors. So there's like four or five in my immediate family. I worked at Columbia University Medical Center, Memorial Stone Kettering in New York. I had baller insurance, like the most access you can possibly have in that model. And I still didn't get answers. So I feel like that part of the story is a little bit significant because, or a lot significant because what was happening is that they weren't looking for root causes, right? They were just throwing a bunch of stuff at me and nothing was helping. And so my father, avid researcher, has always been an avid researcher, and he was a GI for 30 years, a gastroenterologist for 30 years. So very, very much connected with the gut. And he actually had a really big problem with this diagnosis, as you can imagine, for multiple reasons. He's like, my daughter can't possibly have this neurodegenerative disease, like how did this even happen? So he put, he started getting into other kind of other perspectives. Um, and he connected me with functional medicine and Mark Hyman and Terry Walls and all of these people who are saying it's actually about root causes and restoring function to the body. So then I was like, okay, let, you know, I was so desperate and miserable because this diagnosis literally took my life and completely changed it from what I had experienced up until then. And so this gave me hope. And also there was, there's, I have a rebellious nature to me and I need to know why, you know, like I can't just do something because you're telling me to do it. Even if I know it's the best thing for me, you know, I need to know why. And nobody could tell me why, why is this happening? Is there anything I can do to support myself in the healing process? And so I didn't find the answers in the Western model, but I started to find some in the functional model and in the spiritual world and in just the the soma, essentially, which I didn't even know what somatic work was, like that I was actually doing somatic work until I learned about somatic experiencing, you know, years later. But what I was doing, what what I was starting to realize is that my body communicates to me via symptoms, via emotions, via my state. And that there are many factors that contribute to that. So long story long, I went through the functional medicine, you know, detoxing, uh, gut health, kind of healing my gut, removing foods that were toxic, really getting into the root cause side of things and the biology side of things. And then uh, the spiritual aspect was honestly the thing that really made me realize like, oh my God, this is bigger than me, this, this experience that I'm having. And then years later, was trying, I mean, I went through a lot of different modalities, right? When you're, when you feel horrible and like your and like your health is just taken from you, you're open. Eventually a lot of people get desperate enough that they start open. They start looking in all these other areas. And so that's when I started to connect that my flare-ups with MS my skin issues, cause I had eczema my whole life. I also had another autoimmune disease you know, a couple of years after my MS diagnosis of chronic hives all over my body, islands of hives, hot, itchy, raised, you know, I'm doing air quotes right now, right? Like seemingly unrelated, right? And which now I know all of that, it was all related. And it was, it was very much related to my emotional state. 
and to my thoughts and to my memories and to my focus. And so then I was like, oh man, I'm missing a big part of the process here. I'm missing a big part of what I need in order to heal, which was that emotional aspect. And so that kind of led me to many other teachers and practitioners. And I met this woman at this women's circle once. And I just was like, there was something about her energy, the way she walked, how she just like felt. And I found out that she was an SEP, a somatic experiencing practitioner. And for some reason it just clicked like that. She just was so embodied and I saw that possibility. And then I was like, okay, what the hell is this SEP stuff? And that's how I found out about trauma. That's how I found out about the free state or, or essentially how trauma impacts your, your biology, like really how it keeps you stuck in a certain space where your body actually just kind of can't really heal. And it's, it's trauma, it's stored trauma, right? So once I made that connection, it made everything else make so much more sense. And it's really a way of life living and leading from a safe nervous system is the goal. The body heals when it is calm, not when you're telling it to calm down or you're doing affirmations, those can be helpful, but when it actually feels embodied in safety, that's when healing accelerates. And then I saw it in my clients because I had already been working with clients. And then, you know, it's, it's like, there've been many times in my life and in my career where I've experienced like what I call miracles. It's miraculous. It's new access to new information. It's new ways of being. And that was one of those moments. And then I had to tell everybody. Laura, discovering her trauma and freeze response is huge. For those going through my 21-day journey, discovering their freeze response, my goodness, it changes everything. You have new eyes, a new understanding for why you are the way you are and why your body continues to get sick and struggles to get well. It's amazing just the shifts that will happen with seeing with new eyes, the body and its trauma and freeze response. I also think it's important to note that Laura didn't have any experiences that most people would consider traumatic. She had a happy upbringing, a great family, access to everything that she needed. But the definition of trauma that we use here at the Biology of Trauma is anything that for any reason at that time in our life overwhelmed us. Overwhelmed us in which way? Ah, we couldn't process the emotions of that experience at that time. Overwhelming experiences create the freeze response, create unresolved emotions. And these are big pieces for unlocking the puzzles to our healing journey. One more thing I hope you heard from her story that I want to highlight just in case you didn't, but it's a key principle of the biology of trauma. And that is the body heals when it is calm. The body can heal itself when it is given everything that it needs to do that. Not when you are telling it to calm down, not when you are telling it that it is safe through whatever means you do that, meditation, affirmations, mantra, whatever, mindset, motivation, whatever. Most people don't know that they don't feel calm in their bodies because they are still always in their head telling themselves that they should feel safe, that they should calm down. But most people don't know that they don't actually feel safe deep down in their own body. Let's move into some of the barriers that Laura identified and begin removing. And then we're going to come back to this conversation around trauma and what trauma experiences are in childhood that many of us miss. 
so it took me seven years to heal my body. It took me seven years of me trying and then, and removing barriers to healing. And that's probably what I'll say is that your body wants to heal. It is designed to heal. It is always working toward a healing state. Even when you're at your, you're feeling the worst, that's actually probably when it's working the hardest. And so the key is to identify and remove as many barriers to healing as possible. And they're different for everyone, although they fall under the same kind of categories, right? So for example, if you're someone who's struggling with multiple sclerosis, let's say, or really any autoimmune issue, the foods that you're eating make such a huge impact on how safe or unsafe your body is feeling. So when flare-ups come up, when rashes happen, when fatigue rolls around, right? These are all signs and symptoms that your body is just like working way hard and is like screaming for help, right? It's, it's communication. And then once we recognize that it's communication, sometimes you might get annoyed by the communication. I know I did, you know, I'm not like, just because you realize that your body's communicating doesn't mean that that changes everything. But at least now, you know, that, um, okay, tell me I'm listening. Right. And you're probably going to need to work with someone who knows what they're doing. If you want to accelerate the process, like Amy or anyone from probably that she would recommend in her network. Right. And then the barriers to healing usually fall under the following categories, right? It's usually things that are causing inflammation and toxicity in the body. So toxins like environmental toxins, right? That includes everything from your laundry detergent, the soap that you use, the water that's coming out of your shower, food that you're eating, the microbes that you interact with. Because if your nervous system is is in an overwhelmed state, when you interact with a mold or you're exposed to some sort of microbe that normally you could handle, but right now you're overwhelmed. Well, guess what? That thing's going to trigger your symptoms. It's going to trigger everything else. So there's not an easy answer, unfortunately, right? But it is about identifying and removing those barriers with a lot of as much self-compassion as you can have and as much patience with yourself and with your process as you can have. Because one of my favorite things that I've learned from Amy is that the nervous system doesn't do anything in like a super dramatic way. It wants to be nourished. So your entire body wants that, right? And so um, removing barriers and, and being really gentle with yourself. Basically, it's so much more in our, in our unresolved emotions than we've ever been taught or that's ever been accepted, you know, and we can decode a lot there just by, again, having compassion and a lot of trauma healing is done really wrong and it just is re-traumatizing. Like you don't need, you don't need to re-traumatize in order to heal. It doesn't have to feel like this big catharsis in order for you to heal. In fact, from, in my case, my nervous system needed a lot of, a lot of slowing down, a lot of gentleness, a lot of being orienting, right? Because the body heals in the present moment. So how I'm doing now is I have not had any symptoms of MS. I have not used any Western intervention. It's very difficult to get me to take a pharmaceutical, like painfully difficult. Although I do believe they have their place. I am not anti-Western at all. I just, it's not what I opt for first. And yeah, no symptoms in 
over 10 years and no Western medications, like no injections. I had to take daily injections for years, really painful and unpleasant. And I know a lot of people that are healing themselves from like the unhealable is kind of what I say. Once you understand that the nervous system is running the show. And when you can understand that and you can leverage and understand leverage different states and not force them to be different, the body is miraculous. We are all living miracles. I'm no more special or different than any other person on this planet. I I rebelled against information that wasn't, I didn't feel was good enough for me. And I see that people are healing themselves. So I think it's really great when you can align to possibility and, uh, and belief really matters too. I just think this is so incredible. Over 10 years, symptom-free from a diagnosis that was considered progressive. Laura said the secret for her was once she understood that the nervous system was running the show, everything changed. Let's go into section two now. So in section two, we're going to look at how to immediately stop the spiraling out of control and access a safe place within ourselves. And so much of this is a predictable route into safety and connection that we need. Let's go back to Dr. Ariel Schwartz and my discussion with her on what can be that predictable route back into safety and to stop the spiraling. And I think we all need to know that we have a predictable route to safety and connection, going back to the vagus nerve. And you've just described yours, right? Like, it's like, oh, I can go right here. And it's predictably brings me back. For me, my yoga practice does it every time, right? I'm like, oh, thank goodness. I got on the mat. I feel so much better. Or being out in nature is another one. And so for the listener to, to, to start to discover what takes you out of feeling grounded, centered, safe, whatever word you want to use that helps you feel connected to yourself, right? And what brings you back? My client was describing her version of spiraling, right? And just spiraling and then just being taken out and not having a lot of access to other states. And I can so relate, right? And so when it comes to like coming back, it's all about resources. And that's going to look different for everybody. And that's what I love about somatic experiencing and trauma healing through this lens is that, gosh, I heard someone say this the other day and I can't remember who it was, but it was, I think it might've even been on the somatic experiencing Instagram where they said something like healing trauma is about feeling good. It's about finding what feels good. And then having that resource to be there when things are not feeling good. And so the antidote to trauma is resource and a safe space. And so instead of getting into the story or, or the details, which they do matter, right? I don't want to like negate anybody's story. However, if we can, if we can get connected to dropping it down into the body in terms of how is this affecting my body right now, my thoughts, What's happening there? And that's tracking, right? Which is the most basic somatic tool that one can use is just tracking. It brings awareness. It brings you to this present moment. It might not be this dramatic state change, but for most, it softens things slightly. So you can have a little bit more perspective. It can be a little bit less rigid to what's going on. 
you know, there's plenty of tools that I could list. And, and if you do Dr. Amy's 21 day journey, you'll have 21 of them. And then you'll decide like which ones actually really serve me. And then I recommend so simple, like simplicity is key here, writing it out. I don't have mine right here. It's probably in my other table up front, but writing it out on a piece of paper, your three or four resourceful acts or for me, it's like my, if my dog is sitting right next to me pretty much at all times, I look at her like right now. And I just like, get so relaxed. And I feel so oh, something, you know, I don't even need words. I just know that I'm like, I'm softening. I'm settling. Right. Learning how to track our nervous system, I think is one of the most important things that we should do. In fact, I do think that it should be taught in kindergarten. That's how important it is. Because otherwise, we are disconnected and we don't have the tools. We don't have the resources in the moment. And we start spiraling out of control and we take everybody else down with us. So tracking the nervous system is so important that for me, it's the very first exercise that I have put into the 21-day journey. So if you do not yet know what that even means or how to track your own nervous system, that is one of the first steps that I would strongly encourage you to consider is finding out how you can learn how to track your system. And maybe that will be taking a 21 day journey with me. That would be awesome. The other thing that I want to mention from Laura's share here is that she used the word trauma, which again, we've mentioned a few times before, and yet we still haven't talked about an event. So this is a word that many people are nervous about using. And I want to really go into what is trauma, what it is not. And In my interview with Dr. Ariel Schwartz, we talked about this very thing. So let's move into section three, where yes, we're talking about the pace of life and how that contributes to our health conditions, but let's look at it as a pace of life in the difference between stress and trauma. You know, we've we've tossed the word trauma out here, but we really didn't define trauma. And I think I want to backtrack there for just a moment because I think Mm -hmm. a lot of folks can hear that word and go, well, that doesn't apply to me. I had a great childhood. Mm -hmm. But if we break down what we're really speaking about, it's any time in our lives when we experience something from our senses that we were not able to process at the time. And right. so from, you know, it doesn't have to be the car accident or the loss of, of a loved one or a hurricane. It doesn't have to be something that we externally define. It can be anything that at the time that it happened was overwhelming to you. And if you don't want to call it trauma, fine, right? We can just call it any outlying experience that ultimately when we can kind of catch those those moments in our lives, those memories and those somatic experiences, we can integrate those and fold them back into the overall sense of self. And so I love therapy for that. I think that having a container where we have another person that can see us and hear us and be invested in our well-being, you know, so that's my go-to. Of course, I've become a therapist, so that's, you know, it, it speaks to my bias, but we can do that through meditation. We can do that on a yoga mat. We can uh, do that in a walk in nature. There are many different routes to Rome, right? <laughs> Roads to Rome, but ultimately anything that helps you find those you know, pockets of life experiences and moments that were overwhelming at the time mm-hmm. and turn toward them with more capacity now. 
there's a continuum between stress and trauma. Many of us experience stress frequently, right? Like that seems to be just a normal part of life where there is stress, but at what point does that stress become trauma, right? Like at what point does that stress become overwhelming where our biology, our nervous system, our vagus nerve is no longer able to process what's happening and it, there's a part of it that just kind of shuts down and collapses and it, it has to find a way to just keep going, functioning in order to just get through. But then how much more important it is then to take these pauses, to take this time to allow our bodies to process stuff. And the more that we can do that along the way and build into our daily routine and schedule these times to just pause and see what surfaces in our body, then we can prevent the accumulation of stress, which leads to the burnout, leads to the overwhelm, leads to the trauma because it's been too much, too fast, or we've had too little resources for too long and our system cannot process that, cannot keep up with that anymore. And so yeah, just this, this need for time. And that's not what our society has, you know, created is created a very fast paced system. And it is only contributing to more stress actually becoming trauma in our lives without us even realizing that it's actually trauma. That's right. Um, I, I would say that two things come to mind as I listen to you. One is that here we are in a time of COVID. And we have been all been, we've all been presented with this forced slowdown, this shutdown, right? And uh, this great pause, if you want to think about that. But for so many people, this process of slowing down has been really uncomfortable. Very for some uncomfortable. people, it's been wonderful. They're like, oh, I've been waiting for this. I needed a vacation, right? But for some people, it's really uncomfortable because mm -hmm. in that slowing down, all of that other stuff is coming mm -hmm. up. But it's purposeful in a way. It's purposeful. It's good. If you have feelings that are coming up when you slow down, that's a good sign. You're doing something right. Mm -hmm. However, we don't want that to be overwhelming either. Right. So we always remember that we want to pace ourselves and that we want to touch into vulnerable feelings at a pace that we can handle so that that doesn't become re-traumatizing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And have these tools and have these resources and have multiple resources, right? Like not just have one that you're relying on, because if you're relying on that one, a pandemic can take that away in an instant. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> and then, right. <laughs> and then you're left spinning and, and feeling, you know, out of control and lost without that one tool that you had. And so being able to, you know, have the yoga mat for you, have nature, have many different tools uh, the somatic practice, you know, for me, having that as a tool in order to be able to have multiple resources where your body can, can feel like I'm well-resourced, I'm not running on low or even empty. So I'm a New Yorker, right? So I grew up racing everybody, trying to get ahead in front of everybody, like, you know, you got to get there first. And so I was raised in this pace that actually, like, I'm totally repelled by now, you know, now that I understand my nervous system, but at the time it was like, gotta keep up, gotta keep up. Right. And that's especially in that rat race, but even anywhere. 
And more and more, I think as we evolve and go through time, it just feels like there's just like more to do and there's less time to do it. And so this is a story. This is a, this is a myth actually, right. That we have to do it all. However, my gosh, I feel I attract many people into my world and into my practice who also live at this accelerated pace and slowing down can actually feel really unsafe. If you're someone who has a tendency toward that go, 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 go. And so, yeah, I think that slowing down is actually often really celebrated in our spaces. And I think is really important and necessary. And you might even take it slow with slowing down if you're someone who tends to have an accelerated pace. But the other thing with an accelerated pace is that tracking is so valuable. And that's sort of in a scenario inside, because if you really track what's going on inside when you're moving at an accelerated pace and you really give that some attention, you might kind of think like, man, I don't know if I want to keep going at that pace. And that will help you even in itself, slow it down. What I find more often than not is that the slowing down is that we have to slow down more than what's comfortable sometimes. And that's actually part of the healing. And I feel for anyone who relates to that because I know how hard it is. Slowing down can feel unsafe. Did you hear that? There is a reason why we live life at a fast pace. It prevents us from having to feel. Don't stop. Don't slow down because then you might feel the inner pain or the loneliness or the grief, whatever it has been for you. Going through life fast and always on the brink of out of control is not necessarily the problem. It actually many times is the solution to our problem of having inner pain and sensations that we don't want to feel. We don't know how to feel them and not fall apart. Even the process of slowing down should be done at the pace at which our mind and body feels safe to do so, or we can actually shock it in the process of going too fast, even with a good thing. Now, there is a tipping point between stress and trauma that is crucial to understand about our nervous system, unprocessed emotions, and disease. So let's move into section four, our last section for this episode, and let's look at hope, (laughs) the hope for when life has felt out of control and being able to understand what is that tipping point between stress and trauma when life feels out of control. I think when I drop into the time where I was diagnosed with MS and I had all of these new limitations and requirements put on me, and it really felt like I was out of control, like I had lost all control. And then it kind of led to going out of control with eating and how I was eating out of control with substances, because I just was like, F it, if I'm honest, you know, at that point. Um, Cause I was so sick and nothing was helping me get better. And this was just my way of coping. Again, it might not change the thing that's bothering you, but it will change your ability to deal with it. And that is what creates more capacity for healing and helps you come home to yourself. A lot of what I do and what I help people do is I help them detox who they are not in all of these different ways right? Because usually this, like, for example, a reactive or explosive, and this is me, like I, I can, I can have that part of me. I know that that's just up. Oh, there's something there that is creating toxicity in my, an overwhelm in my nervous system. Let me check that first. 
you know? So those are some of the ways that I think I would, I would invite people to, you know, set themselves up to come home to themselves. That is where I reclaimed my worthiness to then open the way to access to root causes and possibilities. Because if we buy into the program that this is just the way it is for you now, that's it. That's the path. It's not a terrible path. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. I just think we have access to so much more, but it does come with that decision of saying like, well, I want to know how so-and-so healed herself from this thing that I also have, or I want to know how come this person was all the way in a wheelchair, but now she's teaching people how to heal themselves. That's kind of what I saw. And the thing that I love to, uh, to just gift and share, if it feels like something that you want to claim is if they can do it, I can do it. If they can do it, I can do it. There's nothing truer. There's nothing truer. And if it's in your field, if you're seeing it, then there's access to possibility. Now, I'm not saying everyone can, you know, turn around MS miraculously, but I am saying that the body is always working toward a healing state and that there is so much more that that you can do for yourself than probably you've ever been taught. And this concludes our part three podcast episode with Dr. Ariel Schwartz. And what a powerful story from Laura Bautista and what an important message for our time. Don't look for events to find trauma. Look to the patterns in the nervous system. Learn how to track your nervous system for it is what drives everything in our life, including our state of health and the diseases that we get. So what is your next step? Coming out of this episode, what is the next step for you? We talked about a lot. We talked not only about Laura's story, but how to immediately stop the spiraling and be able to access a safe place within yourself. How the pace of our life contributes to this spiral and how to access that safe place within for when life feels out of control. So maybe for you, the first step is creating a bit of space in the midst of your day, bringing in a few pauses, just a few times, a a minute, a moment during your day to just check in with yourself. Start small, just do one small thing. Listen to your body, track your body. I love Laura's story because there is so much hope. And this is what is happening in this community with the biology of trauma. There's so much hope. So many shifts are happening. So many changes are happening in people's lives as they learn how to track and shift their nervous system in a way that is lasting. It's not just momentary. It's not just while they're on the meditation pillow or the yoga mat. This, these changes are lasting because they're learning how to actually work with their nervous system on a cellular level. So if you are ready start small, start with something. You may want to join me for a 21 day journey. That would be amazing, but you can still start with something today. And even just bringing in a pause and noticing how comfortable are you with that pause? Or maybe has staying busy been the solution to a problem for you? Big hug, lots of love to you. And until next time. Welcome to the Biology of Trauma podcast, the show that provides professionals with the knowledge and tools for effective science-based solutions for the trauma healing journey. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and I've done the hard work so you can stop your endless searching, have a roadmap for your own work, and be able to help others more powerfully.